Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Welcome to the Daily Jungle. Hope you packed it in, denimed up, and you finished this week strong. The Seahawks won Thursday night football last night thanks to Russell Wilson's magic act with Doug Baldwin, but it came at a huge price. Richard Sherman. Also, we preview the insane weekend of college football that's going to get you hyped. Alvy dropped another epic week that was, and Cal and Vegas came in, tried to bully EP Adam Hawk, took a run at Packers head coach Mike McCarthy, yet somehow, someway, still ripped the huge call. On top of that, we had Zaza Pachulia of the world champion Golden State Warriors, CBS Sports' college basketball guru John Rothstein, and World Series champion Alex Bregman. It was that kind of a day. And a happy Veterans Day to all of you who have served, and thank you very much for that service. Alvy, let's do this. Let's start with last night's game. Thursday night football, once again, a topic for the NFL, for the players, for the coaches. So on the one hand, it was a good night for Seattle. They get a win. On the other hand, it was a really bad night for Seattle because they lost a number of guys, including Richard Sherman. So me being who I am, I want to stick to the positive. I want to stick to the glass being half full. Let me start with what was good about last night. Seattle goes into Arizona. They beat the Cardinals. And again, while they won that game, they may have lost their season. I don't want to overreact. But when you see Richard Sherman go down the way he did with a ruptured Achilles, and you know what he means to that defense and to that team in general, that is a brutal, brutal blow. In fact, that was a brutal, brutal game. You had Sherman blowing out his Achilles. Russell Wilson ducking into and out of concussion protocol. Cardinals tackle, D.J. Humphreys, potentially tearing an ACL, and that's just to name three, and there were plenty more. However, I said I would keep it positive. In the midst of all that, there was a transcendent, jaw-dropping moment. Let's go to the fourth quarter. Seattle up 15-10. to 10. They've got the ball, and a second and 21 from their own 44. And, well, this happened. Shotgun snap comes into Wilson, fakes the give to McKissick. Rolls left, holds it on his hip. Now he's going to scramble around back to the right side. Backing up to the 30-yard line. Scrambling, scrambling, throwing down the left sideline. Caught by Baldwin at the 45. Down the sideline with a block to the 30, to the 20. Baldwin to the 10 and shoved out of bounds inside the 5. Russell Wilson pulling a rabbit out of his hat. And Doug Baldwin scampers down the sidelines inside the 5. It's first and goal, Seattle. Westwood won. Now, if you've not seen that, you want to go see that. And if you can't see it right now, let me attempt to describe it to you. Wilson fakes the handoff. He rolls out to his left. He surveys the field. He starts to tuck it down to run. But then two Arizona defenders come flying right at him. He spins away. He runs backwards. He spins again. And now he's all the way back around the 28. Getting hit there would be a 16-yard loss. So the smart move is throw it away. But he doesn't. Instead, coming out of a spin, he heaves it downfield. He finds Doug Baldwin, who sprints down the sideline for a 54-yard gain. Of course, that wasn't a dagger into the chest of the Arizona defense. That was ripping out their hearts, Temple of Doom Doom style, and then showing it to everybody. If the Cardinals take him down on that play, it's third and 37, which is the kind of yardage where nobody is going to convert a third down unless they're playing the New York Giants. But Wilson found a way out of it, and not only did he not take that loss, he took a 54-yard gain. I mean, it was an amazing play, an incredible play. 
And just as incredible was the fact that Baldwin was initially blocking on that play, and he ended up being the receiver who took the pass down to the two-yard line. And the fact that Arizona knew all week that there would be a moment like that. They talked about it all week. They prepared for it all week, and they still got beaten by it. That's how good that was. Speaking of good, center Justin Brett had a great look at it. Quote, I got a front row at the Magic Show for one of his Houdini plays. That's just Russ being Russ. You love to have a playmaker like that on your team. He's one of the only quarterbacks who can make a play like that. And then you've got an incredible slot player in Doug who makes those kinds of plays. End quote. Then you had Pete. Oh, Pete Carroll. Peter was gum chopping and talking really fast after that game. I can't wait to see it again. It was uh, it seemed like it took forever, um, but just fantastic execution and, got, and chemistry between those two guys got that done. I mean, seriously, that guy was hyped. He was pumped. And he normally already speaks way too quickly, but when he sees a play like that, he talks even faster. I can't wait to see it again. It was a semantic forever. Just fantastic execution and chemistry between those two guys got that done. I can't wait to see it again. It was a semantic forever. Just fantastic forever. Just fantastic execution and chemistry between those two guys got that done. I know you're hyped. Bro, slow down. Come on, Pete. Take a breath. I can't wait to see it again. It was a semantic forever. Just fantastic execution. You know, there's scramble drills, and then there's whatever the hell that was, because that was not a scramble drill. The word drill implies that that's something you can practice, but what they did last night is not something that you can practice. Forget how many quarterbacks in the league can make that play right now. How many quarterbacks who have ever played in the league can make that play? How many can even think of it? And yet, Russ just did it. And to dump a little more salt on that wound, he then found Jimmy Graham for a touchdown on the very next play. Game, set, match, Seahawks. And I want to do something positive off the top because there's a lot of things about that game that were not positive for Seattle, including Richard Sherman going down. That gets its own take. Alex Bregman is my guest. Alex, it's great to have you back. What's up? How are you? Jim, thank you for having me. I'm so sorry. I thought it was uh, central time. That's my bad. My man, no worries at all, Alex. Great to have you on the show. It doesn't matter at all. Alex Bregman, World Series champion. How does that sound to you? And then how does it feel to know that for the rest of your life, you will always be introduced as Alex Bregman, World Series champion? Oh, it sounds amazing, and it sounds right. I mean, that's that's something you dream about as a little kid. That's something you want to always accomplish, and uh, hopefully it's like, hopefully next year you start saying two-time, and then the next year three-time, and hopefully we have a dynasty here in Houston. Alex Bregman joining us. You know, it's funny you answer that question that way because it leads me into the next question. I was going to say you're a really confident guy. You've always had success. So is this sort of how you expected your career and life to play out, or is this some sort of, holy crap, that was the most surreal, crazy thing ever that just happened? No, you're no, you're exactly right. I think, um, I think one thing that um, everybody in the game of baseball does, especially on our team, is, is believe in themselves. And you have to if you want to play at a high level. And I definitely believe that um, our team was good enough to accomplish what we accomplished. And um, hopefully we're, we're, we're pretty young. So we're going we're gonna to be uh, good for a long time, man. Yeah, I mean, seriously, you don't sound phased by this at all. And then again, why would you be? In the sense that you had one big clutch moment after another in the postseason, both at the plate and in the field. And, I mean, it's something that usually does not happen to a guy who's only finished up their first full season in the major leagues. So how do you explain the success that you've had in those pressure moments? Can you slow the game down in those moments? Yeah, honestly, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i tell you this. 
AJ Hinch has been unbelievable, and you know they put they put so much pressure on us in practice that um, when the pressure situations come in the game, we feel like we feel normal, we feel comfortable. So um, our, our coaching staff does a great job of preparing us, and then our teammates, uh, my, my I mean my teammates um, are unbelievable. So to be honest with you, I think when you put pressure on yourself in practice and you prepare the way that we prepare, um, I think everybody on our team felt very comfortable, even though it was everybody's besides. I mean, maybe one or two guys, first World Series. Alex Bregman joining us. I mean, explain that kind of if you would. Like, A.J. Hinch to me is brilliant. I love this guy. He's done an amazing job. But what can he or anybody else do in practice to emulate what it would feel like being in Game 5 or Game 6 of the World Series? Oh, I mean, every every ground ball you take um, before the game, he's locked in, making sure you do everything correctly, have the correct footwork, uh, hit the guy in the chest. And if you don't do it correctly, we're, oh, we're doing it again. And we're, we're treating it like it's uh, game seven, ninth inning, two outs, and you have to make the play. And um, our, our, our whole organization does a great job of, of just paying attention to little details. And another thing A.J. does is he just he believes in his players. Um, I was one for 38 when I first got called up, and he moved me up to the two-hole and said, hey, I believe in you. Um, so many guys, George Springer went over for four strikeouts because kind of struggling at the beginning of the World Series, and he said, hey, you're my guy. You're staying in the leadoff spot. And then look what he did. One World Series MVP. So just his belief in his players is something that makes his players want to run through a wall for him. And that's so great, right? For you to start off the way you did and for him to say, you're my guy. And he put you up in the two hole and then to stay with Springer. Guys don't forget that. Guys don't forget that. And they want to pay it back. And then they do. And then Alex, what about that parade? I mean, that was an amazing thing to see. The streets were packed. People were hanging out of parking garages. What was it like to see how much joy that brought to a city that had gone through so much? The parade was unbelievable. You, like, you, you had to be there. It's hard to explain, but, I mean, those streets were flooded nine weeks ago. Um, with flooded, and um, we came back home from Tampa Bay, and we got home, we got out in the community, and we, we put a patch on our jersey that said Houston Strong. And to have those same streets that were flooded be filled with people celebrating a World Series uh, it's pretty special, and it just proves that baseball matters, and um, we were happy to bring joy to the city. Clones, give me a moment so I can talk to you about Stamps.com. Listen, these days, you can get practically everything on demand, such as our podcast. Listen whenever you want, when it's convenient for you. So let me ask you, why are you still going to the post office and dealing with their limited hours? When you can get postage on demand with Stamps.com. Anything that you can do at the post office, you can now do right from your desk. As an example, the holidays are coming up. My wife, Janet, is all about the Christmas card. We send out hundreds, literally hundreds of Christmas cards, and there's no way we could do it without Stamps.com. I'm going to print my own postage. I'm going to do it when I want and do it at home. Trust me, with the holidays coming up, you should do the exact same thing, and you'll thank me for it. Go to Stamps.com, hit the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Jungle. That's Stamps.com, enter Jungle for a special, special offer. A four-week trial, which includes postage and a digital scale. Do not wait. You want to go to Stamps.com, and before you do anything else, hit the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Jungle. That's Stamps.com, enter Jungle. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office ever again. I know I won't. That's Stamps.com. Now it's back to our daily jungle. You know, at the parade also, somebody threw a beer onto the float and Joe Musgrove caught it and then he slammed it. What did you make of the performance for, or from him? That was, a, that was a beautiful performance from Joe. <laughs> um, he, uh, that, was, that was 
that was grade A spectacular. And, um, you know, Mariznick, on the other hand, who has a broken thumb, missed his beer, and it flew over to the other side of the of the fire truck and hit some lady. So it was oh, – we were trying to tell on. him to stop throwing we – we were trying to tell him to stop throwing the beer, but uh, it was pretty fun. And you know what? Joe did a great job. They, that's incredible. you got to make that play, though, right? I mean, you've got to make that play. There's somebody behind oh, Jake, you. Jake's the center fielder. He's got to make that play. Has to make that play. I mean, he's in center field. He's got to call the shots. He's got to make that play. That's on him. Now, one of yep. the things that's come up a number of times is the fact that you've been working on your Spanish as a way of connecting with your teammates. Springer, whose mom is Puerto Rican, says of you, quote, he thinks his Spanish is good. He sounds terrible when he says it, but to his credit, he knows it's just terrible. Hey, set the record straight. How good is your Spanish? Is it as bad as Springer makes it out to be, or is this guy just jealous? All right, so Springer's a little bit jealous, and I understand all of it. I speak probably 80% of it. Now, I don't sound like I'm from a Spanish-speaking country when I speak Spanish. I sound like oh, an American trying to speak Spanish, right. but I understand it and I speak it. And Springer, whose mom's Puerto Rican, does not speak Spanish, <laughs> which is a travesty. So uh, he's got his World Series MVP, and this this uh, this offseason I'm going to buy him Rosetta Stone, and hopefully he can learn some Spanish. Alex Bregman, that, that is awesome. His mother's Puerto Rican, and, he's t- and he does not speak Spanish, but he's cracking you for the Spanish that you've worked so hard to learn. I mean, come on. Yeah, exactly. I, I think honestly, he, he. I'm the rookie, so I'm gonna get a lot of. I'm gonna get a lot of a, a mess talk to me. But um, yeah, it's it's a loose clubhouse, like you can like you see. And I mean, all the guys are are best friends. And um, I think in order to be a leader, um, you need to be able to connect with everybody on your team. So that's why I uh, learned Spanish. I'm glad you mentioned that you're the rookie because you don't play one like one. You don't sound like one. You don't look like one. But Justin Verlander had this to say about you, quote, he's a ball player, and that's kind of the ultimate compliment you can give to a baseball player. He's just a ball player. He does everything you can possibly do to help us win. He's not scared at all. I think you can see that in some of the defensive plays he made and some of the home runs he hit against the pitchers that he hit them against. He thrives in big moments when the pressure is on. He's a guy that you want in your corner. You know, Alex, I read that, and that's a long quote, but that's from Justin Verlander saying that about you. That's a Hall of Famer saying that about you as a rookie. When you hear that from a guy like that, how does that make you feel? Oh, I mean, it's an honor to hear him say that. I mean, it's, it's, he, he changed our team when he came over, and um, it just gave us a lot of confidence when he joined that, our, our locker room. And um, the way he works, the way he prepares, it, it motivates all of us, and you know, um, to hear to hear a guy like him say that it's special to me. I, I think one of my favorite moments of my career so far was when I homered to tie the game in the ALDS, and he was out of the dugout smiling and and giving me a hug. Like to have a Hall of Famer like him out of our dugout with that look on his face, it just meant the world to me. You know, when I'm looking at your career, I think a number of things stand out, things that I'm so impressed with. The fact that you played as well as you did on the big stage, you already have your ring. The fact that you were the second overall pick in 2015, that's amazing that you played your college ball at LSU. But i got to be honest, Alex, I'm, I think as impressed as anything else is where you started, how you started. And part of that is because I love Albuquerque. Albuquerque is really important to me because, as I mentioned, when I syndicated this show back in the 90s when you were just a youngster, 
we needed somebody to believe in us, and Albuquerque was one of the first four markets to carry this show. And whenever an athlete's coming out of that town, they love that athlete, they're proud of the athlete. And since you first came on and then you hit big on the big stage, I get these calls all day long. What's it like for you then to bring a world championship home to Albuquerque, New Mexico? You know, it's an honor, and Albuquerque supports us so much. Um, I know uh, they support me. They support Holly Holm. They support all of their athletes, and, you know, um, we're, we're proud to say that we're from New Mexico. We're proud to say we're from Albuquerque, and um, it's an honor being able to, being able to represent that great state um, on the biggest scale in the world. And um, I'll be honest, there's there's no place like home. I love New Mexico so much, and um, – my parents still live there, and I'll, I'll be back this offseason, uh, and I'll be able to uh, hopefully celebrate with uh, everybody who has supported me from there. Just one more thought. Somebody called up earlier from Albuquerque and said, man, we're so proud of this guy. We love this guy. I I went up against or I coached against this guy in high school baseball. We had him in club ball. Alex, I got to know, what was club baseball like in Albuquerque? What was it like at the lowest levels as you got started? You know, when when you grow up in Albuquerque, you have to uh, you have to play travel ball. You have to uh, you have to go play out of the state to get seen. And the Albuquerque Baseball Academy started an organization when I was eight years old, and we started playing uh, in competitive tournaments all over the Southwest just to get us in front of college scouts and professional scouts. And um, I don't know the exact numbers, but they've had hundreds of kids. Um, that have gone through their system now that have made it to the Division One baseball. And, and really before that, it was, it was really tough for anybody from New Mexico to get seen. And uh, we, we just had, we had to travel. We had to, we had to grind. We had to work our butts off uh, to just get put on the map uh, because, in all honesty, most of the draft picks come out of Texas or California or um, bigger states like Florida. And we just, we just had to grind and get after it and be blue-collar baseball players that play the game hard and, uh, find out ways to help the team win, and um, I think uh, I think it's good to be from Albuquerque because of that. Dude, you probably killed the showcases back in the day, right? I bet you showed up like that, ready to go, like representing Albuquerque, and probably just annihilated the showcases because you had to. Oh uh, well, you 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 had to find a way to stand out. But I'll tell you what, I wasn't a really a showcase player. I was five ten, could couldn't really run that well, um, couldn't hit that, couldn't hit for power, but. Um, you just had to find a way to stand out, and I think uh, just winning and, and and being a leader on the field, knowing the game, and uh, I think that that really helps. Yeah, and stayed on the grind and willed yourself into the second overall pick in the 2015 draft, and now a world champion already a year in. Alex, so good to have you on. Love to get caught up. Congratulations. Enjoy the offseason, and I know you'll be on that grind looking to make that a repeat. Jim, we're, we're getting in the gym on Monday, so... Uh, we, we can't wait to come back and uh, hopefully repeat next year, and uh, it's going to be a blast. Fires to the right side, catch is made, and it's a first down at the 34. John Brown with the grab, Richard Sherman with the tackle, and Richard Sherman stays down on the turf after the 18-yard gain. Sherman is hurt. And this is a guy who once wrote a piece for the Players' Tribune titled, Why I Hate Thursday Night Football. So I thought that he might unload after that game, but that's not what happened. If you were looking for him to be angry after last night's game and after that injury, you were looking in the wrong place. In fact, if you saw him during the game, he was almost matter-of-fact about the injury as he was hobbling around the sideline. And then after the game, for that post-game presser, he was cracking jokes. 
Like how now he'll have, quote, more time for the tweeter. And how the lime green suit he was wearing was, quote, a lot cooler before the game. As for the injury itself, he was not surprised. In fact, it was something he had been dealing with since week five and actually had been expecting. Yeah, I knew what, what, what was happening. I mean, it's bothered, been bothering me all season. So, you know, it's one of them things you just had to play through as long as you can. And then, you know, when it goes, it goes. I mean, again, that's why they're a very different breed than the rest of us. I mean, think about that. That's a guy talking about a ruptured Achilles. That's one of the worst injuries in all sports. An injury that comes with a brutal rehab process and then carries all sorts of risk that the player will never be the same ever again. This guy's talking about it like it was a hangnail. And yet another reason why NFL players aren't like the rest of us. Practically every other person on the planet who knows they have a chance of tearing their Achilles is sitting on a couch for weeks at a time until that thing goes away. But Sherman's out there playing in the NFL and knowing it's only a matter of time. So knowing that a season-ending and a career-altering injury was a possibility, why was this guy out there suiting up every single day? Because that's what Richard Sherman does. Because every game matters in this league. You know, every game matters. You, you go out there and you play for your teammates. You go out there and, and try to give, give them all you got because they deserve it. Um, that's what I did. You know, I, I wanted to give my team the best chance to win. You know, we were kind of beat up at corner anyway. Um, didn't really want to put the young guys out there and, and put them in a hard spot. Again, we're talking about a guy who's down for the rest of the year, a guy that may have just played his last game for Seattle, and he couldn't be more matter-of-fact about it. And if you're looking for that guy to go out on a cart, there was no way that guy was doing that. He never missed a game in his NFL career, and he wasn't about to start, no matter what it might cost him personally. And even when he was injured, and no doubt in a ton of physical and emotional pain, he stayed right there on the sideline cheering everybody on, encouraging everybody, coaching guys up. Michael Bennett noticed it. Quote, I think it shows to his character, his ability to put himself aside and be able to cheer for the team, and he did that every second of the way, coaching guys up. It just shows who he is as a leader and who he is as a person. And then for all the jokes and that matter-of-fact approach that he took to the injury, he did become emotional at the end of his presser. Anything else, guys? Everybody seems to be pretty, pretty down you know, uh, for you. How do you sort of turn it around? To... Just got to stay positive. That's all you can do. Thanks, Thanks Richard. Now, while he did not express his anger, his teammates did. Doug Baldwin, especially. Baldwin said, quote, Thursday night football should be illegal. And then he added, quote, this bleep is not okay. You can quote me on that. It has to change. Bobby Wagner also weighed in. It's extremely tough, man. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, if you look at the game, you watch the game, you see, uh, you know, there's a guy dropping down um, on both sides with uh, serious in- injuries, minor injuries. Um, you know, it's we play a very physical game, a physical sport, and to ask us to turn around and, and be ready after, uh, you know, Sunday to turn around and have our bodies okay on that Thursday, it's really tough for us to do. Um, you know, I hope the league is, is watching and, and uh, you know, uh, hopefully look at it. All right, so he said, I hope the league is watching and we'll look at it. And Doug Baldwin said, quote, this bleep is not okay. So let's drill down on that for a minute. I completely understand where Sherman's teammates are coming from. They just watched their future Hall of Famer go down and most likely their entire season along with it. On a Thursday night, 
Of course they want those games to go away. Of course this is an issue. Of course Sherman is right when he says it's hypocritical for the NFL to say it's concerned about player safety and then have these guys turn around and run it back in less than a week. There's not enough time to recover. And of course the Thursday product is inferior because of it. And yes, too much of anything, even a good thing, is a bad thing. And yes, oversaturation is an issue, even in the NFL. But you wonder if this is going to change anything at all. There's still a gigantic pile of jack at stake. And a chunk of that jack does go to the players. And the players did agree to the package. And they only have to do it once a year. So, you wonder if anything really will change with this. Are the players really going to push back and say that they're not doing it and leave all that jack on the table? Per PFT, it's worth roughly 132000 bucks per player. Do they feel strongly enough about it that they would walk away from that money? I don't know. I'm skeptical. Especially since they only have to do it once a year. Then again, you listen to the Seahawks players last night and after they saw one of their guys go down, well, actually, seven of their guys go down. And some key guys. You wonder if they'd play another Thursday night game ever again if it were up to them. It's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. Even if the quality of play diminishes. Listen, I'm not the one paying the price physically. Like, I like it. I like Thursday night football. Even if the play is not as good. But again, I'm not the one paying the price physically, or emotionally. I'm not the one trying to recover from an NFL game just a few days earlier. And on the one hand, bad NFL or NFL it's not as good as it normally is is still better than no NFL on a Thursday night, right? What are you doing on Thursday night? But again, I'm not the one trying to recover on three or four days. I'm not the one dealing with that pain. I've got an amazing threshold for their pain, don't I? So where do you come out on that? Would you like to see them get rid of Thursday night football or would you like to see them add Wednesday night football? I know how most of the players feel about it. Zaza Pachulia is my guest. So the win over Minnesota, let me start right there. That was Wednesday. That was the team's fifth straight since the loss to Detroit. And all these wins have been by 17 or more. So right now, early in the season, how would you describe the chemistry among the guys in the locker room and on the court right now? Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting start for us compared to last year, uh, where, you know, last year we had seven new guys, and this year we have only three new guys. And, uh, you know, obviously with that last year's roster, we won the championship, and uh, we, we, we know what it takes, what to do defensively, offensively, what to pay attention to, right? You know, and some turnovers, some, you know, offensive rebounds, some possessions, etc. So, uh, we weren't necessarily executing beginning of the year, first couple of games, um, but we were talking about it, and we, you know, we knew what you know. That's the mistake we made in today's game uh, that we didn't quite play well. So we just, you know, tightened the screws and uh, you know got in better shape as well. And uh, here we are. We were playing our basketball. Uh, is it our best game yet? No. Uh, <laughs> our best uh, best day is going to come. It's ahead of us, but uh, we're getting better. And, uh, you know, actually results show, show that uh, we are playing much more better than we, uh, we started. Zaza Petulia joining us. You mentioned the new guys. One of the new faces is Nick Young, who's kind of a character. He's a funny guy. He recently posted a pic of himself celebrating on Instagram, and you added the comment, is that your career-high third assist? It's a great line. How have you enjoyed playing with the new guys and also joking with them off the court? 
you know, all three of them are great. Nick, Omri, Jordan, you know, the really good personalities and perfect fit for our team and uh, our strategy that we have on and off the court. So it's been, you know, a pleasure obviously playing uh, with those guys and, uh, you know, they bring really good stuff for us. And uh, as you guys see, we we play literally everybody and, you know, they are uh, performing really, really well. And off the court, they are good guys. They take jokes. They joke with you, and uh, that's why I let myself to uh, post a comment. And uh, you know, we all know Nick. He's a shooter. He likes to shoot. Uh, you know, there's not, not a bad shot for him, right? <laughs> Anytime and from anywhere. So uh, he was uh, distributing the ball last game, and we were all shocked from his passing ability. And uh, I just had to say something about uh, his uh, career high assists. All right, so you know, you talk about there's no shot that he doesn't like. Now, you've done a lot of things in your NBA career, but you're still looking to make that first three-pointer in a regular season NBA game. How much are you working on your three-point skills, and what do you think it's going to feel like when you finally get one in a game? Honestly, I have not worked on my three-point shots at all, um, but uh, I'm not leaving NBA. I'm not leaving this game without making one. I'll tell you that. What's that, that's so good? Like, what's the dream scenario for that shot? Have you thought this thing through? When are you going to take that shot? When are you going to make that shot? What's the scenario going to be like? I'm still searching for it, Jim. I have no idea. <laughs> but you know, the funny thing is, you know, we are we talking actually in locker room too. The guys are, uh, you know, make fun of it that you know for such a long time he no made this uh, three point shot yet. But once the game starts, I totally forget about it and uh, you know just play my game. So. I don't know. Hopefully, I'll get an opportunity, um, and I get a. You gotta. I gotta make sure it's the right time, right place, because you don't wanna make anybody mad if the coaching staff or the players. So just uh, say discipline, and uh, you know. Well, the beauty of our team is everybody knows their job, and then you know everybody's coming to you know very professionally, very disciplined way. Do uh, we doing our job? We bringing something on on the table. And, and all 12 guys are playing uh, as of now. So it's, it's beautiful to see, you know, beautiful everybody to contributing. Yeah, but that's all right. And your job is to catch it and shoot, spot up and shoot, <laughs> knock down from beyond the arc. Everybody knows that, right? Nobody's going to have a problem with that. <laughs> Maybe next life, Jim. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but now you were able but, to take. But, you know, the, the thing is that it's my 15th year, just like you said, and uh, I came until this point. I mean, that's such an you know, honor and such a privilege, right, to put, be in this league for such a long time. And that's because I haven't made a three-point shot. So why why to change it, right? So it, keep it simple uh, and keep it going. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Zaza exactly. my guest. Now, you've been in the league a long time, 15 years. You played for some teams that really struggled. So knowing everything that you've been through, what's it mean to be an NBA champion? You know, obviously, when you come in the league, um, I don't think necessarily thinking about just being a champion, just trying to, you know, say, wow, this is great. My dream came true, right? And I'm an NBA player right now. So once the time goes and, you know, you're getting better and you see different things, you're going to have career nights and, you know, in points, the rebounds, win some games, lose some games. And then you start thinking about, okay, what's next? And, you know, and then obviously championship is, is so important and coming to your mind. I said, that's my dream, you know, to become a champion. So, you know, there's so many great players and so many players that, you know, didn't experience that. I'm so, uh, you know, privileged to be part of this amazing group of guys and amazing uh, organization. And then, uh, you know, having a one ring already and, uh, you know, we, we're fighting for a second one now. So, uh, you know, this is a special moment of my career, my life. Uh, not only myself, my family members definitely enjoying it. And they're really happy about 
all this experience and uh, my close friends and uh, all my country, you know, they're cheering for me. So uh, I'm blessed. You know, it's it's, it's a blessing opportunity uh, and situation I am right now. You know, I'm glad you put it like that because I was going to say, and then there's everybody back home. You were able to take the Larry O'Brien Trophy back to Georgia, and there was a rally for you at the Sports Palace with 8,000 people in attendance, and the whole thing was broadcast on TV. What was it like for you to take that trophy home and to receive the kind of outpouring of love and support that you received? Uh, it was amazing, Tim, because, you know, after this winning the championship, obviously, you know, we had a parade and, you know, we went to Vegas as a team and, you know, we had a great time. But, you know, it always was on my mind. I say I would, I would like to celebrate uh, this this championship with uh, with Georgians, right, and uh, give them an opportunity to see, the you know, uh, Larry, you know, live and take the live, Larry there. So, uh, actually, the Warriors helped me a lot, and I'm really thankful to them to give me this uh, chance to take the uh, trophy back home. And uh, you know, it's been uh, five five good great days, and uh, you know, uh, we were all over. Oh, not only the Sports Palace, but you know, in different places. You know, meeting either students or the kids, or in by basketball academy, and everybody had a chance to take a picture with Larry or myself, and uh, you know, just. Uh, to celebrate this uh, the championship special moment uh, uh, with my people. So it was amazing. Zaza, to finish that thought, I mean, you started a basketball academy in Georgia. You've talked about how when you were growing up, you saw the Bulls playing in the NBA Finals on TV, and you thought, could I play in that? So what was it like to play in the Finals, win that championship, knowing that there were kids all over Georgia who were watching you do it? It's a huge responsibility, honestly. Um, you know, I kind of feel I'm representing my country, and I got to make sure I represent the right way. Do the all the right things, but same time as a basketball player, I like to open the doors for other kids in Georgia because we love basketball, we love sports. Uh, you know, it hasn't started for me. Obviously, we had the Olympians as well, who won the Olympic Games a long time ago, and as a basketball players. And it started, you know, back then, and for, with me, it just continues. And I really like to widely open the door for other basketball players and other athletes to perform in the the world stage. And uh, we're talking about basketball, so obviously everybody's dream is to play in the NBA. So we have really good talent coming up, and hopefully, pretty soon, uh, we're gonna see other Georgians playing in the league. Really quick before you go, one of your favorite guys to joke with is Clay Thompson. So what did you think, Zaza, when you saw him miss two dunks in a row over the summer in China? Oh gosh, I texted him right away. Of course, <laughs> uh, it, it was pretty funny. Um, but um, yeah, he was uh, he was tired. It's a long trip to China. Actually, I, I, I witnessed that in the preseason. It's a 14-hour flight, and they asked him to 360. Something I have never seen actually last year. He never even tried. So uh, that was funny. Uh, you know, you gotta know the clay, right? He's a great guy, great human being, and uh, you know, you can't. You can make fun of it. You just can just laugh at it, you know. And um, but you know, he takes jokes, and that's what I love about him. And uh, he 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 jokes back with you. But I tell one funny story. So for the rally, uh, I asked Clay that I would like to have a video from him, like you know, just kind of message to Georgians, you know, congratulate to Georgia for. Uh, having the world champ back, etc. So he said, "Yeah, yeah I got you. I'm, I'm gonna uh, record a video. I'm gonna send it to you." And uh, two months later, once I got back from Georgia uh, during the training camp, he said, "Z, by the way, I still need to get you the video." <laughs> and uh, I said, "Like, wow, Clay, really? Like, I asked you like two months ago." <laughs> he said, "He still has a recorded, but at least he remembers it, though. I give him credit for it." That's great. That's great. But you still don't have it, right? He still has not done it. 
and well, you know, I'm I'm, I'm going to need it for next summer, hopefully. So I say, yeah, yeah, just <laughs> make you sure go. you record it and send it to me. So there hopefully by by the next summer, I'm going to have it. Hey, listen, one last thought. The preseason included a trip to China. As part of that trip, you got to meet Roger Federer. I know you're a big fan of his. What do you like about him, and what was it like to meet him? First of all, you know, he, he's a, such a humble guy. Uh, you know, this, this professionalism and the titles, obviously, it's 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 all great, but, you know, What's noticeable is such a humble guy, down to earth, enjoys the life, uh, loves the Warriors, and not, it's not only tennis for him. Obviously, he's a big fan of the sports and uh, of Warriors. Obviously, and you know, just he shows how great person he is. He just like came to say hi. He even didn't stand for the game because you know he was real practice to go. Uh, but just to show the support, show the love, and show the, his personality, it already tells me everything about him. So I was his fan, and I'm a bigger fan now of that- uh, Roger Federer. And what that means. Tomorrow is Veterans Day, and with that in mind, I do want to take time out of the program. And I want to once again thank those who have served, those who are currently serving, those who have made the ultimate sacrifice. Once again, you have our admiration, our appreciation. Our respect. I've said it before. I need to say it again right now. There is nothing that we could ever say or do to repay you, to honor you as much as you deserve. Thank you so much for your service. Because without our vets making the sacrifices that they have made, in many cases, the ultimate sacrifice, I can't do what I do. You can't do what you do. Essentially, we would not have the opportunities And the freedom that we have. Unless somebody was willing to fight for it. Even die for it. And most of us. Haven't had to make the ultimate sacrifice. I mean. We're talking about people who have made the ultimate sacrifice. For somebody that they have never met. And never will. Yet we're the ones who enjoy the fruits of that. And what about that sacrifice? What does that sacrifice look like? What does that feel like? That's something that we'll never, ever know anything about. But I do have a better idea about what it might look like after speaking to Green Beret, Nate Boyer. Nate Boyer was on our podcast this week. You can still download that and listen to that. He's been on multiple tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, and he spoke of a moment that he had in Iraq. The type of moment that will haunt you for the rest of your life if you were there to see it, and maybe even if you weren't. 2008, you were in Iraq, and an IED took out the vehicle in front of you. What do you remember about that? Yeah, I mean, that was the first time I'd, uh, I mean, I'd seen, I'd seen death before, but that was the first uh, de- dead American that I knew, someone that I was fighting alongside. And, and uh, you know, that, that was hard for me. I mean, that was just, it was heavy. It made it even more real because of that easily could have been me. I, I, I related to that person so much. And I remember, I remember kneeling on the side of the road, uh, pulling security while this was happening in the Humvees, you know, in flames uh, behind me and, and our medics pulling out people and actually saved a couple guys. And, um, but I, I remember smelling, you know, something that smelled like barbecue chicken and wondering like who the hell could be barbecuing right now. And then it hitting me and realizing that that was, a torso of one of my brothers, you know what I mean? And that's what that smell was. And it was just to see that and to know, I mean, that guy's a family and he's not coming back. <laughs> uh, it, you know, it, it hits you. And he, it, it, it is, is very, it's very hard to, hard to deal with. And it's something that you'll never forget, but the best way to 
to honor that that service member is the way you you push on with the mission and the way you continue to live your life moving forward. So I had to understand that, even though in that time of tragedy, I mean, you are yeah, you're, you're you're suffering. It's 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 very it's very difficult. Nate, it's absolutely chilling to even hear to go through something of that magnitude. What kind of an impact? Has your time in those situations had on you as a person and going forward? I mean, it changed. It changed me so much. Uh, it, it made me not only more and more appreciate not only the freedoms, but just the security and general safety we have in, in this country, even in these times of terrible tragedy where we've got what's going on in, in Vegas and just uh, recently in Texas. I mean, these horrible shootings that happen. Still, this country's one of the safest and the greatest in the world, and so it's a double-edged sword because it's. It's going to affect you forever, and you're never going to be able to erase those memories, and you don't even really want to. I mean, I want to honor those individuals as best as I can with the way that I'm, I'm living. Nate Boyer, you know, I mean, that is such a chilling thing to hear. I will never fully grasp what it's like to experience something like that, not even close. 99% of us won't, but we can all appreciate and express our thanks to those who have and to help them share their stories. But this is not a plug for the podcast. This is a plug for our military and for all the men and women serving their country and to all the veterans listening right now. Thank you so much for your service, for your sacrifice, for ensuring our freedom. None of us, again, can do what we do and live the lives we live without you doing what you've already done. If you want to hear more of Nate Boyer, if you want to hear the rest of that conversation on Veterans Day, or maybe if you've got a flight this weekend or a commute or you've got some downtime, I think you would really appreciate what he had to say. Go to iTunes or JimRome.com. Find episode 12. Hear from a veteran. Speak about what it's like to serve, what compelled him to become a Green Beret, and that while he is troubled with what he sees and hears right now, listen to him talk about how he appreciates his country more than he ever has. So listen to Nate Boyer. This email says, Good morning, Romy. I love the show and the podcast, but I especially respect how you always remember and thank veterans throughout the year. War those who gave all. War our freedom and a heartfelt welcome home to the vets. Semper Fi. Nick or Nikki at Not a Catch Des. I'd like to welcome home all our vets. I want to welcome home all of our vets from where they've been, from wherever they've been. Welcome home. Welcome home and thank you. Dear Jim, as a former Marine, I would like to say happy 242 to all my fellow former and current Marines. Happy birthday, Devil Dogs. Semper Fi. Damien in Vancouver. Happy birthday and welcome home. John Rothstein is my guest. John, it is the first day of the college basketball season. We do this every single year. You always bring the heat. You always bring the enthusiasm and energy. How much more pumped up are you on a day like this than even any other day? Well, I think considering the circumstances and considering all the negative attention that college basketball has received over the last month or so, I think it's imperative to start this season off, get games being played, allow storylines to be seen and heard, as quickly as possible so we can start to deflect all of the negative attention that's really been cast upon the sport over the last six to eight weeks and start obviously channeling that attention to some of the product that goes on in between the lines. All right, such a good point. We'll hit those storylines in a minute, but since you bring this up, I mean, it does go without saying it's been a really tough offseason for the sport of college basketball. What have you thought as you watched all of this unfold and play out? 
You know, I can't say that I was surprised, Jim, that we saw some of the things come to light that have come to light in wake of this FBI investigation. I think everybody understood who was involved with college basketball that under-the-table recruiting was in play. I think we all heard stories throughout our years covering the sport. We've heard of duffel bags being passed. We've heard of envelopes being passed. But when you obviously now start incorporating the idea of assistant coaches wiring money and obviously holding on to some of that money for their own means and own benefit, you are reaching an entirely new set of circumstances. And I think that was the surprising part of everything that unfolded for me. And now you enter a state of things where we have players that are ineligible at programs that we're hoping to make the NCAA tournament. You obviously have some brand-name programs going through massive transformations when they didn't expect massive transformations. The only thing for sure right now in college basketball, Jim, is that nothing's for sure. John Rothstein joining us. And, of course, John, in the middle of this whole thing is Louisville and Rick Patino. What do you think it's going to be like to watch Louisville without Patino on the sideline? And how do you think the Cardinals play under interim coach David Padgett? Well, it's funny that you mentioned that, Jim, because I was in Louisville a couple of days after Coach Patino was fired for obviously his role or his apparent role in the FBI investigation. And, you know, I went through that practice and went through that practice facility, and it was almost like a surreal experience out of a movie because you go into Louisville facilities, which are as good as any in college basketball, and there are shrines and there are monuments of Rick Pitino because of everything that he did for Louisville basketball, and then you go upstairs to the office to meet and visit with David Padgett, and you see a man who at that time did not have a staff in place. Now, obviously, he's put together a staff since that period where I was there, but it was a surreal experience. But once the whistle blew and once practice began, I saw a team that should be ranked in the top 15 of the country. I saw a team with five players back from last year's group that earned a two-seat under Rick Pitino, and added to me one of the biggest freshman sleepers in the country in Malik Williams, a 6'11 post player that can also step away from the basket from Fort Wayne, Indiana. So Louisville does not have a Hall of Fame coach anymore, but what they do have is top 15 talent, and talent also that's capable of finishing in the top three or four in the ACC. John Rothstein joins us. Uh, John, last week you wrote a column about the 68 things to look forward to in 2017-18 college basketball season. Right off the top, you had Duke, and you wrote, quote, as my surrogate Uncle Pete Gillen says, Duke is Duke. They're on TV more than leave it to Beaver reruns. Duke is going to be on TV quite a bit this year. John, what kind of a team will fans be seeing, and how good is this particular group? Well, I think when you look at Duke right now and you look at the way they're structured to play, they have overwhelming size up front with their trio of bigs in Wendell Carter, in Marvin Bagley, and also Marquise Bolden. And it's interesting, you know, when North Carolina lost Tony Bradley early to the NBA draft, you started to think about the Tar Heels potentially playing small this year. Think about what's happening right now, Jim, on Tobacco Road. You have a Duke team that's looking to potentially win with power with Wendell Carter and also Marvin Bagley III. You have a Carolina team that is going probably to enter the season with the smallest amount of proven big men that Roy Williams, a traditional two-post coach, has had in an awfully long time. I think if you're looking right now to look forward on Tobacco Road, here's the narrative. 
this Duke team is going to play like North Carolina, and this North Carolina game, and this North Carolina team is going to play like Duke. One team that usually plays big is going to play small and vice versa. And that is so strange, right? John Rothstein joining us. John, Arizona is one of the programs that has been linked to the current FBI investigation, but at the same time, they have a loaded roster this year. How do you see this season playing out for the Wildcats? If there is no personnel issues, from the FBI investigation, and you can save this audio right now, and we can revisit it in March, Arizona will advance to the Final Four for the first time under Sean Miller. And let's obviously look at why. Returning talent in college basketball is always more important than incoming talent. Arizona has a first-team All-American in Alonzo Trier. It also has proven veterans and guys like Parker Jackson Cartwright, Dusan Ristich, and Raleigh Hawkins, who is out right now with an injury. But the difference between this Arizona team and other Arizona teams that Sean Miller has had that have reached the Elite Eight multiple times in the NCAA tournament is DeAndre Ayton. I was in Tucson, Jim, in the preseason. I spent a day inside of Arizona's program, and I can tell you this without hesitation. Sean Miller has never had a player like DeAndre Ayton. At 7-1, he's skilled enough to step away from the basket. He's also physically gifted enough to dominate in the paint. And at 7-1, he has a body that looks like it's cut from a giant piece of ice. I see DeAndre Ayton. I see a right-handed version of David Robinson. And let's look at the other factors as to why Arizona will reach the Final Four for the first time under Sean Miller. The Pac-12 schedule this year is as such. Arizona does not have to play road games at UCLA and USC. They don't have to make the California trip, the second and third best team in the conference in terms of preseason projections. To me, that means there is no way that Arizona doesn't win the Pac-12 regular season title. What does that mean? That would mean that then all of a sudden Arizona, okay, would be the number one seed in the West region. If Arizona is the number one seed in the West region, where are the round of 64 and round of 32 games? They're in San Diego, California. That is a short trip for Arizona fans to make. Then, should they win those games, where are the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight going to be played in the West region? That's at the Staples Center in Los Angeles. It's all aligning right now for Arizona to break through as long as you see no personnel defections from the FBI investigation. John Rostein, my guest. John, you and I could do this all day long. I mean, seriously. But before I let you go, I do want to ask you about my guy, Eric Musselman. I've known Eric Musselman a long, long time. He's won 52 games in his first two seasons at Nevada. What kind of a season are you expecting from Muss and the Wolfpack this year? Eric Musselman has made Nevada a minor league version of what Fred Hoiberg made Iowa State in terms of transfers. You're looking at Nevada right now in bold print. Look at these three transfers. Caleb and Cody Martin, two twins who transferred from NC State. Caleb Martin, in my opinion, has a chance to be Mountain West Conference Player of the Year. And also Kendall Stevens, a 6'4 sharpshooter from Purdue, should, in my opinion, be close to the leaders this year at the top of the list in terms of three-point shots made in all of college basketball. John Rothstein. All right, John, before you go, let me put you on the spot right now. Start of the season. Which are your Final Four teams? Who are the four teams that you think will reach the Final Four? Arizona, Michigan State, Duke, and Villanova. Hey, listen, before you go, you mentioned Michigan State. I had Tum Tum Naren on earlier this week, 
And, and look, I knew he'd be an amazing interview, but man, he blew me away. What a special person he is. When you've got a leader like Tom and you've got a guy like Miles Bridges, how good can Michigan State be? Championship good? Tom Izzo told me when I was in East Lansing in October that this is the closest team he's had since the 99-2000 team that won the national championship 17 and a half years ago. You look at Michigan State right now, I see the deepest front court in college basketball. I also see the guy who's the favorite for the national player of the year in Miles Bridges. If Michigan State can get quality wing play and some extra scoring from either Josh Langford or Matt McQuaid, it will get to the Final Four for the first time since 2015. For Spartan fans, that's a long time. Wake up, bitch. Wake up, bitch. Wake up, bitch. Wake up, bitch. Wake up. Welcome to the jungle. My name is Jim Rome. A very good Monday to you. I hope you had a great weekend. Nice to be back. What's going on? What's cracking? Coming off a wild weekend in the NFL. Philadelphia 51. Denver 23. The no-fly zone. Just got a heavy dose of fly, Eagles fly. Let's be straight. That game was a lot worse than 51-23. Then again, if you were counting on Brock Osweiler to save your season, that's on you, not on him. I thought Brock did a fine job. (laughs) Jalen Mills joining us. You got a guy like Carson. He's just playing out of control right now. And you see a lot of defensive players uh, start to stand up and start watching that offense just to see what Carson's going to do. How many of you want to eat a W tonight? Why not, Cap? I guess so. It sounded like one of the drunk calls to your podcast voicemail. I'm not even sure it sounded that good. How many of you want to eat a hammer tonight? There's some serious construction going on. Where's the hammer? Hey, Ben, what do you have to say for yourself? Um, I'm not here to beat up on Ben McAdoo. This is about the Rams. Giving the Rams some freaking credit. credit. Scott in Salt Lake, you made it in. Props to the Rams, and it does not suck to be Sean McVay right now. Dude has got a smoking hot girlfriend. Great take, Scott. Thank you very much. Whoa, whoa, AJ Green going after Jalen Ramsey. I have never seen a receiver handle a DB like that. I'm not sure I've ever seen anybody handle anybody like that. Pretty amazing move. Flawless victory. Nevertheless, you know, the Titanic still has to go. Hey, Cam, I mean, you know what happened to the Titanic, right? Iceberg, run ahead! Email. Irv will dial up the old fake heart attack play, and all will be forgiven. In Atlanta. Hey, Susan, what's up? Jim, How are you? Irby needs to go. It's time. He's going to ruin Ohio State, just like he ruined Florida. And the Lions are on the board again. Yeah, I said it, and I stand by it. The Green Bay Packers are not the same team without Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I said it. You don't just come out here and spit molten lava like that. Melvin Gordon is my guest. You know, I had some dog in me, bro, but uh, some guys don't look apart. The talent showed out there on the field. And somebody wants to roll up on him, when, especially if he's all bug-eyed and he's got a belly full of Jameson in him or whatever. I ain't going. He makes Deion Sanders look good. Great player, all famer, not a great tackler. So Romo was not wrong in what he you said. You know you never won the big one. Whatever's going on between the two of those guys, it bothers Dion a lot more than it bothers Romo. But that is some cowboy on cowboy crime. Tony, leave me alone. Tum-tum Nairn, my guest. And he pulled me aside one day and he told me you'll never be LeBron James you'll never be Kobe Bryant you know you have a special gift you can motivate people you inspire people just be tough hey Tiger you won't say hi to Romy hey Van Smash ah! In his prime, there was not a more dominant pitcher than Roy Halladay. The Cy Young Awards, the 67 complete games, a perfect game. Rest in peace, Roy Halladay. Mark Few is my guest. 17 Disney shows and The Voice and some other things were on there. So, uh... Uh Uh-oh. 
Uh-oh. Yeah, that was a major crisis. I'm sure you've had many of these with Janet where you just scratch your head and go, what? Dwayne Casey. I'll tell you what, Mark Dew is a friend of mine. He does a great job at Gonzaga. I live in Seattle in the summertime. Twitter. Wrecking my life and my talk show. You had a pretty good thing going. We had a sharp knife in that toolbox, and you just doled it down to rubber. Facebook. Uh- Twitter, Twitter, you're still 140 to me. Shaquem Griffin. You know, if I want to eat that Debbie cake, I can eat it. I don't have to have my brother behind me like, you know, I don't think that's best for you. My choice, I'm going to make it. <laughs> They're down on him because he hasn't responded. Come on, bro. Turn the page already. Get over it. Come on, man. He sent you a sad face emoji. What's your problem? Get over it. Will Compton joining us. I named him Dr. Evil. So I remember getting out of bed, not being able to really walk well. We had done everything we can to kind of, you know, quote unquote, duct tape it. Ari Gold, Ari Gold is here. Ari Gold here. Ari Gold here. What a, Ari major software companies here. Oh, Oracle is getting twisted. Play golf. Stay out of Vegas. Uh, Four brothers, two sister-in-laws, and my wife. All on a group text. God bless the... Two months down there, man. Way over 140, Hawk. And Richard Sherman stays down. And if you're looking for that guy to go out on a cart, there was no way that guy was doing that. And even when he was injured, he stayed right there on the sideline cheering everybody on. Zaza Pachulia is my guest. Such an you know, honor and such a privilege, right, to be in this league for such a long time. And that's because I had not made a three-point shot. So why, why to change it, right? There is nothing that we could ever say or do to repay you, to honor you, as much as you deserve. Thank you so much for your service. Brad in the 909 or Fontucky or whatever dentistless town he's from in the IE. Let's get out! Hey, Rock, all the people I follow, they're all on mute. <laughs> and the C-section came. Poor Calvin Benjamin, slim and trim. How many of you want to eat a dumb? Live long and prosper, baby. See you on the Twitter. Stuck in quicksand. Um, playing like crap. Time almost up. Good night now! Calvin, you're a genius. If I'm going to Vegas, you know why I'm going to Vegas. Because Cal is back. Hey, Cal, what's going on? Hey, Jim. Uh, I love how your producer, Adam Hawk, tries to sound like some tough guy when he answers the phone. Who's this? Who's this? It's Cal in Vegas. Stay in your lane. The reason I called, because I wanted to talk about that sorry excuse for a football coach up in Green Bay, Mike McCarthy. Hey, Mike, I hope you're in your car listening to me right now, you fat ass. And you can't coach. After Aaron went down here in Las Vegas... We adjusted the line on Packer games by 12 points. That's because we don't respect you. You had two weeks to prepare for the Lions, and that's all you've got. The Green Bay Packers can't complete a pass, and that's on you. The only reason you still have that job is because Aaron Rodgers guarantees you 10 wins a year. Without number 12, you got jack squat. Mike, when you coached at the 49ers, you told them to draft Alex Smith. That's because... You have the brains of a pissant. You're also blind as a bat. I mean, you haven't won a challenge in a decade. Maybe that's because your eyes are too far apart. Hey, Jim, have you ever seen this guy's pressers? I mean, he makes Bill Belichick seem jovial and charismatic. Mike, year in and year out, the Packers roster is every bit as good as the Patriots. But you can't get it done. You were handed the keys to the Ferrari. And you crashed that thing right into a telephone pole. Mike McCarthy... Your last game as Green Bay's coach is Week 17 at Detroit. After that game, I hope you get Lane Kiffin at the airport. War me, shocking the world at next summer's smack-off. Woo! Thank you so much for listening. You know I appreciate it, and I appreciate you. Catch me this weekend on the NFL Today on CBS on Sunday. You have an amazing weekend. Then check back Monday. See you then. I'm out. How to show up with Coca-Cola Energy. 
You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.